The Old Testament lesson comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read through chapter 2, verse 3, and this is on, you might be able to guess, page 1 of the Pew Bible. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And you may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I was a little bit surprised uh, by myself this last week when I uh, looked back over my records and found that I have never preached a sermon on Genesis 1. That surprised me because it's on the short list, the very short list of the most important chapters in the Bible. Chapter 1 is always important to any book. it also surprised me because I, I know that I've referenced Genesis chapter 1 many times in different sermons, but it's never gotten its own sermon. And so I thought, well, there's so much here that I have to do it. But that also means that after writing for a while and a while more, I had too much for one sermon. So I'm going to do something else that I don't think I have ever done before. I'm going to actually kick part of it to next week and make this a two-parter. So this week, we will focus Uh, being Trinity Sunday, uh, we will focus on what Genesis 1 teaches about the nature of God. Next week, we will consider what it teaches about God's work of creation. And these two things, you know, they can't really be separated, nor should we separate them, because what God does, his actions and what he creates, continues to teach us about the nature of God. Uh, And so if you're not going to be here next week, uh, I would at least invite you to look up the sermon on our website so you can get the second part of this one. Next week, we'll take a closer look at God's creation, but today uh, we'll focus a little bit more on his nature. We read, in the beginning, God. Before we even get to a verb, at least in our English Bibles, we learn something about God. And this, of course, is what the Bible does. It's the book about God. It teaches us who he is and what he does. Genesis, more specifically, is the book of beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means. It means beginning. In the beginning, God. This is really the first thing that we learn about God. He was in the beginning. Before the earth, the sky, the sun, the moon, the planets, and the stars, God. He was there. He does not have a beginning. Rather, at the beginning of all things, he already was. That's part of the nature of God. No beginning, no end. He just is. He exists always. And being that this is Trinity Sunday, our focus will be on what this chapter teaches about the nature of God. We confessed the doctrine of the Trinity in the Athanasian Creed today. It's the longest of the three creeds. We typically use it just once a year. It focuses on teaching the two great mysteries of the Christian faith, the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the two natures of Jesus Christ. 
And we call these mysteries not because they're secrets, not because we don't know them, uh, but God has revealed them to us. But even after learning them, they still remain mysterious. They're still beyond our comprehension. They remain wonderful. We can know them, but we don't fully understand them, at least not in this life. And so we might continue to sit and wonder at them. It's a marvelous creed. Uh, it has a few big words which we might not use in ordinary conversation, so it takes a little while to, to start to comprehend it, but it is well worth knowing. And so I would suggest to you that you keep your bulletin from this Sunday. Keep it for a little while. Take it home, put it in your Bible, and read through it I would, uh, later today and, and maybe even every day this week. Uh, the Athanasian Creed, it's a marvelous creed. Uh, the first time you hear it or the first few times you hear it, uh, it might be a little bit overwhelming to comprehend the whole thing. So if you feel like you haven't gotten it, like it was just a bunch of gibberish, keep reading it. And I think you'll realize that it's really quite simple and it explains the Trinity and the nature of Jesus Christ very simply. In summary, it defines the Trinity this way. God is one. There is one divine substance which cannot be divided, and yet God is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the three persons share the same divine nature, so they are co-equal in every divine attribute. They are distinct persons, and they share one divine nature. But it's not like the Father is one-third of God, neither is the Son or the Holy Spirit one-third. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And still, there is only one God. That's the mystery of it. Most of Christian doctrine is really contained within the Trinity. The Trinity is the truth of who God is and what he does. And so it's worth knowing. There are several misconceptions about the Trinity, or about the doctrine of the Trinity. I suppose the first one that we should get out of, way, out of the way is simply that the doctrine of the Trinity, or just doctrine in general, isn't very important. But doctrine, quite simply, is the teaching of God. Doctrine is everything God has revealed to us in the scriptures, and that makes it important. We have a nasty temptation sometimes to, to think that something is only important if we can see how it impacts us personally. Now, besides being rather narcissistic, this is also short-sighted. Just because we don't see how something impacts us does not mean that it has no impact. We oftentimes don't see why something is important until we understand the thing in the first place. And so we often learn something first, and then we begin to appreciate the importance of it. And the Trinity is this way. If you think to yourself sometime, ah, so what? You would not be the first. But we should care about this doctrine simply because it's the doctrine of God. And there is no one worth knowing more than God. Simply knowing about God is a good enough end in and of itself. But there are still other practical applications to the Trinity. We see one of them, and maybe the biggest of them, when we get to the atonement, where God the Father condemned all the sin of the world in the flesh of his son, Jesus Christ. In order to atone for sin, God must judge sin, because he's just. And God must also bear our sin and suffer the condemnation for it. 
So the Son bears all sin and suffers for it, while God the Father pours out the wrath of God. You see, in order to make atonement for sin, God must be at least two persons. He is three, we know, but he must be at least two in order to make atonement. Another misconception, and I can't believe that I even hear this one sometimes, another misconception is that the doctrine of the Trinity isn't taught in the Bible. Perhaps you've heard someone say, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. (laughs) And this is true. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a man-made word. But that does not mean the doctrine is man-made. We use this word Trinity as a shorthand for what is revealed in the Bible. Now, the biblical basis for the Trinity is the simple fact that the scriptures plainly teach that there is one God, but they also name three different persons who are God. And the three persons in the Bible who are identified as God are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Any honest reader of the Bible, given enough time and attention, should eventually come up with the basic doctrine of the Trinity. Read through the Bible and ask yourself this question. How many gods are there? Answer, one. There's no way that you can read the Bible and come up with any answer other than one. But as you read through the Bible, also make a list of the different persons who are identified as God, and you will come up with a list of three and exactly three. No more, no less. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there are passages that speak of the Father, and they speak of him as God. There are passages that speak of the Son, and they speak of him as God. And there are passages that speak of the Holy Spirit, and they speak of him as God. And there are also passages that speak of all three of them together. For example, our gospel reading from Matthew 28, where Jesus commands his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There we have all three persons of the Trinity, but notice this too, this is really interesting. There's only one name. He doesn't say baptize in the names of these three persons, but in the singular name, because there is one God and three persons of this God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so while the word Trinity is not in the Bible, the doctrine is very clearly seen. A similar misconception is that the Trinity is only a New Testament doctrine and that it wasn't taught in the Old Testament. But this is not true either. It's not seen quite as clearly in the Old Testament, but it is there. There are several Old Testament passages where we see that God is more than just one person. And we get at least a glimpse of who those persons are because we see a relationship between the Father and the Son and we also see references to the Holy Spirit. So also in the Old Testament, we would come up with this list of three, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's not just something that we see in hindsight after we see it more clearly in the New Testament. There are a number of examples in the Gospels where we see that at least some of the Jews understood this about God, even though all they had at that time for scriptures was the Old Testament. One of those Old Testament passages is Genesis 1. In the first verse, the very first verse, we see that God is one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
But already by verse 2, we start to see a distinction of persons when the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. If God were only one person, it would say that God hovered over the face of the waters. But already in verse 2, it distinguishes between persons of the Godhead, the Spirit of God. And in verses 26 and 27, uh, we see this quite strikingly. We see both the plurality and the singularity of God. In verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's plural. But the singularity is seen in the very next verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we see that God is one, but when he talks to himself, and he's not crazy like you and me for talking to ourselves, when he talks to himself, he's actually talking to a different person. There is one God, and this one God is multiple persons. And so we might not get the full doctrine of the Trinity in Genesis 1, but we at least learn that God is one, and he is also at the same time multiple persons. It's not the full doctrine of the Trinity, but it's a pretty good start for the first chapter. And then Genesis 1, it also introduces us to the work of God. We'll spend more time on this next week, but we'll take just a glimpse of it, at it this week. The first thing God does is create. And you know what? He's good at it. Everything he created was good. And when he was all done, it was very and so this also introduces us to the will of God. That is his desires, his wishes, what he loves. It shows us what he cares about. God desires for his creation to be good, because he made it that way. He desires for his creatures, especially those who are created in his own image, to live in perfect and eternal peace, because that's how he created the world. Now, you might know that it doesn't take very long for things to go sideways. By the third chapter of the Bible, we have rebellion and death. By the fourth chapter of the Bible, we have murder. So things go bad fast. But remember how the story started. Remember that this is a book, the whole Bible is a book written with intent. Taken as a whole, it's kind of like a novel. It's also the history of the world, so it's not fiction, but it's the history of the world. It's even the history of things that, from our perspective, have not happened yet. But it's not random and uncontrolled. We, we as observers of history, not knowing the future, uh, tend to think that, that history is just kind of one random event after another, and we don't really know where it's going to go. It's just going to go somewhere random. But it's not random at all. It's a history that God is writing. And so it's like a novel. He knows where it's going to go when he starts it. And with novels, the first chapter usually sets a foundation for the rest of the book. Sometimes it even dictates how the story has to end. And the first chapter of the Bible is like that. It introduces us to God and how he desires his world to be. The next couple of chapters, like a novel, introduce the problem or the conflict and then most of the rest of the Bible is the resolution or the story of what God does to solve the problem until finally he restores his creation to the way it's supposed to be. Now we know the rest of the story. We already know that God solved the problem of sin and death by sending his son into the world to suffer, die, and rise again. 
And through this atonement, we have forgiveness of sins and the promise that we will be raised to that same incorruptible life. That's the rest of the story. We see a foreshadowing of it in chapter 1. We don't get the whole story, but even in chapter 1, we see a baseline for how the story has to end because we see that the will of God, the desire of God, is life, and he desires for that life to be very good. And we know that this is the same God who can create everything simply by speaking. So he's powerful. And with this kind of power, we know that the will of God cannot be stopped. If he created the world good and very good, he will make it that way again. He will get his very good. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.